Um, kicking off a new series today, uh, and this is a first in, in my uh, history of ministry. I've never repeated a series in any point in ministry. I've been in ministry for 20 years now, um, but I'm going to do it this time because you asked for it, and I'm a man of the people, right? Um, we, last year, we did a series called Asking for a Friend, and uh, this idea of, of really just what's on your hearts, what are, what's on your minds, what are the questions that are nagging you that you want to ask, and, and just I'll take the opportunity to look at them and find ways that we can teach on them, instruct in them, and really, I, as I was kind of thinking about that this week, it, it's kind of like an old school way of how learning was done in the church for many years, because the way it happened way back in the day is that prominent teachers or rabbis would come to the synagogue and people would gather around and they would teach and they would ask questions and they would learn that way. And in the New Testament, uh, you see places where Jesus was in uh, someone's home and people would gather in the courtyards of the home and they would ask questions as Jesus is teaching. And, and so I just love this idea, this format of you being able to ask some questions. And so uh, I do have three of them that I want to try to tackle today, two that I think that are kind of related. Um, and one, the first one that I want to talk about is, is something that I, I think is foundational to the way in which we honor God with our lives, the way in which we live for Jesus. Um, and then towards the end, I'm going to make a statement that after I make this statement, you're all going to go, <gasps> okay? So just sh- prepare yourself for that. Get your best like shock and awe voice ready to be like, <gasps> like after I say it, okay? You just warm that up if you need to as we go through here. But here's the first question that, that I got, and I think this is, this is a really important foundational question for the way in which we live for God. Here's, here's the question. Are there areas of my life where I can just choose what I want? Are there areas of my life where I can just make a decision? I'm like, hey, I want to move to Alaska. Can I just move to Alaska? Hey, I want to change jobs. Can I just change jobs? Hey, I want to, I don't know, dye my hair purple. Can I dye my hair? I I can't dye my hair purple, but (sighs) scalp. I can do the scalp. Uh, Can we make those kind of decisions? And, And I think there are some that are attached to this maybe on a different level, right? Because there are questions that come in that are, are similar to this. Uh, you know, hey, can Christians watch R-rated movies? Can Christians drink? Can Christians go to uh, weddings for people who are homosexual? I mean, I get all kinds of questions about these kind of things from people. Uh, and I want to speak into this because there's a foundational element that we need to talk about. And I want to start by looking at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 and 24, because there's a reality at the basis of this that Paul speaks to in the Corinthian church. And, and really, if you're new to faith, or maybe you've been serving God your whole life, go into the Bible and read through Romans and Corinthians because they are just full of just really pragmatic instruction what it means to live for God on a daily basis. And and the book of Romans and Corinthians, really great stuff that you can kind of uncover through that. But in chapter 10, verses 23 to 24, this is what it says. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial don't be concerned about your own good, but for the good of others. All right, so right out the gate, he's trying to set this idea. There are things that you can do, but not everything that you can do is what you should do, right? Just because you have permission, right? We live under the, as we talked about even last two weeks ago, we are under the covenant of grace, right? Paul goes on to say very blatantly, do we just go on to do whatever we want to do and sin against God so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. So here's what he's saying. Right out of the gate, you say, I can do this, I can get away with it, it's permissible, but let's, let's lean more into the question of what's beneficial, 
Right? What, in what way is this thing benefiting me? And then saying on top of that, don't think about your own good, but the good of others. All right? So I want to couple this with Psalm 37. And this is something you probably heard before. Uh, this is David speaking, Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4, and he says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, we hear that, and we get all excited. We're like, I've got some great desires, and if the Lord's going to take care of that, that would be amazing. Like, I don't know about you, I've been desiring a Corvette to just show up in my parking lot one morning. Like, it's in my driveway, and it's like the keys are just like dang. It's like, hey, PC, here you go. Like, whoa! Like, that's a desire of my heart. It hasn't happened yet, I'm going to be honest. I'm just throwing that out there, okay? Uh, it hasn't happened, right? Because that's just, that's a foolish desire. It's just, it's just a selfish desire. And, and I want to speak to that because that's a reality of what we're dealing with when we ask these kind of questions. No matter how pious you might be feeling this morning, you are not far removed from the most selfish version of your two-year-old self, right? That's just who we are. At the basis, we're fighting every day to battle against that two-year-old selfish part of us that what's, wants what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and now, right? And, and that's what we battle with. So how do, we, how do we go into relationship with God and keep those things in balance and those things in check? So here's the reality. Is God saying that if you're going to follow me, you can never do anything for yourself ever again? What do you think? Right? You can't go on vacation. And, and I don't know who wrote this question, but here's how they really posed it to me. Do I have to constantly honor God or is it okay for me to just sit down and play a video game sometimes? Like, I don't know if that could be a young or old person. I don't know. I didn't get into the video game scene. That really wasn't my thing. But that's the question, right? Is it okay for me to waste time? Is it okay for me to waste my time playing a video game or waste my time playing on my phone, looking at Facebook or on Instagram or watching reels and all these other, is it okay for me to do that or do I have to constantly be honoring God and doing something for God? I want to flip that for us, okay? Again, Paul says there are things that are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So how do we take what is permissible and make it beneficial with this one simple idea? Everything I do has to honor Jesus. Everything I do has to honor Jesus. Can a Christian watch an R-rated movie? Is that going to honor Jesus? Is it going to honor biblical teaching? You know what amazes me? And a friend of mine said this in a sermon a few weeks ago. He said, you know, we in the church were appalled by the idea of murder, lying, adultery, but these are the three cornerstones of every movie that we watch on, on TV, right? There's adultery, there's promiscuous affairs, and people being promiscuous sexually, and then there's some kind of shooting violence and killing and murder, and these are the things that people watch for entertainment. Can I do that and still be following Jesus? I mean, everything we do has to point to Jesus. What about what I'm looking at on the internet? What about what I'm listening to in my music? What about the places that I'm going, the things that I'm doing? We so often get caught up in this place of, what can I do that God's going to be okay with? What can I do that God's going to be like, okay, that's not a big deal. If you want to do that, I'm okay with that. Paul's speaking directly to that, and he says, listen, here's the key. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we can read that two ways. I have a desire, God's going to give it to me. Or, God's going to take the selfish desires that I have and replace them with the godly desires that he wants to put inside of me. 
God's going to change the way I think about myself and the world around me and give me desires that are honoring to him. And I'm not going to be in the place of like, what can I get away with, right? How far can I go before it's wrong? Where's the line? How close can I get before I'm over the line, Lord? It's that question kind of goes away because we're like, I want to live for Jesus in such a way that everything I do points to him. Everything I say, everything I think, every way I respond, and let's be honest, I'm not saying we do that perfectly, right? Anybody ever fall short of the glory of God and sin? Two of you, whoa. Thank you for your honesty. For the rest of you, we're praying, we're praying for you. This is the important part and the reality of what we want to do. I want every area of my life to point to my faith in Jesus. I want every area of my life to point to faith in Jesus. That doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. You're still going to make mistakes just like I do. But we do that in such a way. I want my decisions, my actions, my attitudes, the things I'm invested in, the places I'm going, I want all of it to point to Jesus. If it's sports, entertainment, whatever it is, I want it to point to Jesus, and I've got to keep that balance for those things. And secondly, I want to speak to these last two questions here that came in regarding relationships, most specifically marriage, okay? And, and I, w- I just want to say this, like, I, I think the church has done a poor job of speaking into Christian singleness, because we kind of enter into this assumption that everybody in the church is married and has children, right? But there are single people in the church, right? We have young adults in our church who are not married. We have people who have been married that maybe their spouse passed away and they're a widow or a widower now. We have people who've been through marriage and are divorced and are single because of that. We, we serve a different demographic and there's a question that lingered in the midst of that that was submitted. I'm going to guess by a young adult, but I don't know. Um, and, and here's the question. Should I be in a relationship with someone who doesn't have the same faith as me? Should I enter into a relationship with somebody who doesn't have the same faith as me? Like, what does that look like if I'm, if I'm in partnership with that kind of person? And again, that, that statement, faith, is, it's a broad statement, right? Some people have faith in themselves. Some people have faith in Allah and Buddha and the Hare Krishna or whatever, I don't know. All of these different things. It was, it's a, an ambiguous question, but the question that lingers is this. Is it okay for me to make a decision to be in relationship with somebody who's not a Christian? Is it okay for me to make a decision to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't love Jesus, but they're a nice person, right? They're a good person. So I want to speak into that. And here, here's what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul gives this very clear instruction. Again, Romans and Corinthians, great instruction on just practical living for God. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you, I'm sorry, this is Deuteronomy. Uh, He's speaking to them as they're going into the promised land. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. So God makes this very plain, okay? And I want to speak to this. Again, let's keep it in context. I'm talking about 
Christian singleness, okay? Some of you get a little excited when we're talking about this idea and you're like, wait, my spouse isn't a follower of Jesus, I'm out, right? That's a good, good reason. No, this is not, we're talking about singleness right now, okay? We'll talk about marriage in just a second. In singleness, though, is this pursuit. I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for the one, right? And, and if I can just be honest, and this kind of plays into what we're gonna talk about in a second with marriage, we have allowed ourselves to succumb to the Hollywood idea that marriage can be defined in three words. Are you ready for them? Happily ever after. That's what marriage is, right? And anybody in here can testify. That's what marriage is, right? For the rest of you, it was just happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't, I don't get it. Listen, it's not easy. And so we need to speak that into those who are speaking, who are, are really in that single area, because here's the reality. Going right back to what Paul said before, hey, there are a lot of things that are permissible for you, but they're not beneficial. Sure, you can marry anybody you want. God's not going to knock you over the head and be like, don't marry that person, drag you away from the altar, like, but I love her. That's not going to happen. God says, I've given you wisdom, though, to understand that being unequally yoked with an unbeliever is a recipe for disaster. I, I, I got to be honest. Jeff and I, we've been married a little over 19 years. I look at it and I think to myself, how does anybody get through 19 years, 20 years of marriage without Jesus at the center? It's hard enough. Okay, marriage is tough. It's not easy. Putting Jesus at the center is so crucial. And listen, I see it the, the other side of it too, that people who are in those relationships, I want to be able to give to the Lord, but my spouse doesn't agree with that, and so I can't. I want to be able to, to give more of my time to help the church, but my spouse doesn't agree, and so I can't. I want to be able to bring my kids to the church, but my spouse doesn't agree, and so I can't. And just this whole thing that continues to play out over and over again because we're unequally yoked. And, and just for those of you who are in here who are in that singleness stage, that Christian singleness stage, please hear me. This decision is probably the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. First is, are you going to follow Jesus? But if you are a follower of Jesus, giving in to this whole idea that, oh my goodness, I'm getting desperate. No, what, if no, what if I never find the one? What if nobody ever loves me? What if I get rejected and I never find that perfect guy or that perfect girl? What if, what if, what if? I've got to find somebody who will put up with me. Isn't that kind of our definition of marriage, right? Somebody who will put up with me for an extended period of time. He says, don't let your sons and daughters intermarry with them. And here's why. Listen to this. This is so important. They will lead your children away from God to worship other gods. They're going to lead them away. Like God's like, I'm not okay with that. <clears throat> I'm not okay with a generation being lost because you chose for yourself instead of choosing to follow me. And so here's the reality. Even though we can do anything, successful marriages have Jesus at the center. I, I, I honestly don't know any other way to get through it unless Jesus becomes and is the absolute center of your marriage. Because, like I said before, on our best day, we're still just one step removed from the most selfish two-year-old version of ourselves. How does that play out in marriage? Anybody want to testify? No, don't, don't. We're still there, and we still need Jesus' help, Right? And so I just want to encourage you, those of you who are, are in that place of Christian singleness, to be in the place of patience, because here's what I really truly believe. God has a plan for your life. 
And his plan for your life is not going to be to put you into partnership with somebody who is wrong for you, but to put you into partnership with somebody who is a blessing to you. And he even asked this question. He's like, you're trying to create oneness in marriage. How can dark and light become one? Right? How's that possible? They can't become one. How can, uh, you know, how can evil and good become one? How can those things happen? There's, there's too much of a separation in the way that they think and act and respond. How can those things take place? My last question that I got here, and I'm almost sure this was from a married person because it just has that, that, that sound to it. It's like, <clears throat> here we go. What is the purpose of marriage? <laughs> like somebody please, what are we doing? Make sense of this for me. I don't know, maybe I'm reading into that. <laughs> what is the purpose of marriage? Uh, and you know, Kind of to back up here, there have been seasons of time in the church where we have promoted this idea, you know, Paul spoke about this in the New Testament, this idea that there is a call to celibacy, and that this call to celibacy is so that a person can be fully devoted to God, and he, he says, very point blank, if you are married and have family, you cannot devote yourself fully to the Lord, you have to be devoted to your family, but then he does say, that's a calling, that's not for everybody, right? So... What is the purpose of marriage? And, and, and I want to read this for you in, in second, or Genesis chapter 2, and then I'm going to give you my statement where you go, ah! all right, so are you ready? Just be ready for that, okay? When I'm done, you can be like, ah! all right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So I want to read this for you. What's the purpose of marriage? Genesis 2, verses 18 25. It's a little long, but it's important. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Then the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Just like we were talking about that partnership, into one. And then here's this, and it seems extra but it's it's true listen to this now the man and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame no sh no that wasn't the one no <sighs> laugh it up christians laugh it up my pastor said naked. <laughs> Just take a second, it's fine. There was something beautiful and perfect about the way God designed marriage. And, and it was so perfect that even, and, and really this is speaking, I mean it's literal and poetic at the same time. It's, it's speaking to the fact that even being completely open and vulnerable to each other 
there was no shame between the two of them. That, that they had such connection with one another because, as we see this a moment ago, God designed our spouses to be complementary to us. And that doesn't mean they walk around behind you saying, you're good looking, you're so smart, you're handsome, you're wonderful. Okay, that'd be great, okay. But complementary means this. God looked at the man and he said, this man has strengths and he has weaknesses. I need somebody. I need to make somebody for him that will be a strength where he is weak. And, and she's going to be her own self too. And she's going to have strengths and weaknesses. And I'm going to make him to be strong where she is weak so that they will need each other to be fully healthy and happy. And, and you look at it, and I know, again, it's, it's countercultural. It goes against the ideas of what we think today because culturally speaking, we just want to say men and women are exactly the same. We're each sufficient on our own and have no need of each other. Church, that's not biblical. God designed us with the purpose of needing each other in relationship. And i got to be honest, when I look at this whole idea of God's character that he puts on men and women, I don't think it could be done on one man or one woman. It takes both of us to truly embody God's character. And so this is the design. Here's my statement for you. Get ready. Here we go. Marriage is designed to make us holy, not to make us happy. Believe it or not, <clears throat> when God designed marriage, those three wonderful words that Hallmark sold to you in every movie happily ever after we're not part of his plan now that doesn't mean that god's like <laughs> they're gonna be so miserable it's <laughs> gonna be so funny to watch no no that wasn't god's idea either but but we have gotten really in the place where we culturally have watched too many hallmark movies and we've started putting the cart before the horse and we've started putting out this idea that marriage is just about happy, 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 happy. And I don't know if you heard a little bit of the laughter earlier when we were asking the question, has marriage been everything happy, 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 happy? Because it's not. Marriage is not easy. And I just want to speak this to you. If you're in a place where maybe you're struggling in your marriage, and maybe you're like in this place, oh, it's just us, there's something wrong with us. No, it's hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody. I, and I just went like, so, and I tell my kids this, and I'm, I'm not saying this to brag in any kind of way. My wife and I have a fantastic marriage. Now, if she was speaking, I don't know how she would phrase that, but I'm just going to say, from my side, okay, from my angle, we've got a fantastic marriage, right? It's not easy. There have been tears upon tears upon tears over those 19 years to get us to where we are today. It's not easy. It's two people, and I love it. We did this class a little while ago called Sacred Marriage, and he said it this way. Imagine taking two sinful people and putting them together and asking them to care for each other and be like Jesus to one another. How, like, think about that design and how difficult that is. Why? Because we're not too far removed from our two-year-old selfish selves. And, and that's the pain of what it is to go through. But listen, the friction that we find ourselves in in marriage, okay, creates in us God's intention of holiness in us. Because guess what? I'll speak as a guy. I might think it's totally fine to be jerky sometimes or to act a certain way, but my wife is going to remind me after I say something like that, she goes, why are you being a jerk? That probably doesn't happen to any of you other guys, but it happens to me. Why are you being a jerk right now, right? And I have to stop and check myself, and I'm like, 
she's a jerk. I'm not a jerk. I'm going to call my mom. <laughs> no, it's this moment of self-reflection. I have to pause. Was I being Christ-like in my interaction with my wife? Was I being Christ-like in my interaction with my children? If I wasn't, my wife not only has the ability, but the responsibility to call it out in me. Because God gave her to me not to just stand by and say, oh yeah, Chris, everything you do is amazing. It's kind of like that in our house. (laughs) But to remind me that there are times and places where I didn't reflect the character of God. To remind me that I have to learn to reflect God's character more. That I'm being shaped and changed through this relationship that is not just bent on me being happy, but that is truly trying to teach me how to be holy. Now again, you can go into a relationship looking for happiness, right? We want to be happy, 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 okay? I'm sorry to tell you, that happiness is only going to last for so long. If that's your main pursuit, right, to find somebody who makes you happy, somebody can help you to be happy and a, and a happy version of yourself for a short period of time. You can be happy, right? It will not last because happiness is not the primary pursuit of what we're after in relationship. But if we put holiness first, can I tell you on the other side of that pursuit is happy, happy, happy. There's peace in it. There's joy in it. There's strength and solidarity in it. Because God uses this method, this complementary method of relationship to make me more like Jesus, to make my wife more like Jesus. And it's, I mean, I asked in first service, so I already know the answer. I'm not the same guy I was 20 years ago when we first got married. I've, I've changed a lot. Some for the good, some for the bad. But we go through a lot, all right? And, and that's part of what God has in store in marriage. And I, and I just want to say this to you. If you're in the place of like, what is the purpose of marriage? What are we doing? Why is it so hard? Shouldn't we have finally gotten to our happily ever after and Santa Claus flies over by now? <laughs> Every Hallmark movie, right? No. And we'll never find that because it's a false narrative. It's a lie. It's a fairy tale that's being sold. Marriage is hard, but it's worth it. The struggle, the pain, the stress, the frustration, the friction, it's all worth it because you're learning together to become more like Jesus. And God said, that's what I wanted. I wanted you to be complementary to each other to challenge each other, to stretch each other, because the oneness that I have for the two of you is the best version of yourselves. The best version of yourselves is that oneness that I created between the two of you, where you're learning and growing together and teaching and challenging each other. And I I know, believe me, believe me, I'm a married man. When I'm messing up, the last person I want preaching at me is my wife. All right? I get that. I understand 100%. But still in the midst of that process are those incredible conversations, those moments of challenge where we're learning from each other how to be more like Jesus, how to treat our kids more like Jesus, how to treat our neighbors more like Jesus, how to treat our friends more like Jesus, how to treat each other more like Jesus. And God designed that process to bless us, to make us holy and not necessarily to make us happy. But I promise you this, if you and your spouse pursue holiness, you will find happiness. But if you pursue happiness, you may end up with something that is happy for a while, 
but that then falls apart and doesn't lead you anywhere close to becoming holy. And this, this is why we have to understand God's design in marriage. So if you're in a place where you're struggling, honestly, my heart goes out to you. I've had our seasons of life where it was hard. Everybody in here has had their seasons where it was hard, especially when you're raising kids. It's like we liked each other before they were born. We really got along great. Now we got these little people trying to make us nuts. Now they're getting older and more nuts are. It's normal. But here's, here's the problem. We get this lie from Satan that is being used from this fairy tale. Oh, you're not happy. You need to go find happiness. Oh, you're not having your happily ever after. You need to go find your happily ever after. You're not having your hallmark ending. You need to go find it. I promise you this, you'll look for the rest of your life to find somebody who's gonna make you happy and they never will. Seek God and holiness. That's the purpose behind what God has designed in marriage. Church relationships are tough. Whether you're coming at it from a place of singleness or from a place of marriage, whatever you've been through, in and through and out of, and God's so good, he's redemptive in all of it. And and I'm so grateful for God's redemptive work that he does in us. Because listen, we make mistakes. We do. We make mistakes. Can you imagine having to live with me for 20 years? Like, I've made a few mistakes over the years. If I could get the guest services team to come to the front. (laughs) There's a guest that needs to find the door. It's my mother. It's fine. It's my mother. (laughs) Church, we need to pursue God first. And it's not about what can I do? What am I allowed? What am I permitted? Where can I go? What can I do? What can I become? But when we get to the place of I want every, every single aspect of my life to point to Jesus. I want my relationships to point to Jesus. I want my future to point to Jesus. I want my decisions, where I'm going, what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time, talent, and resources to point to Jesus. It stops becoming, what can I get away with? It starts becoming, how can I use all that I am to worship and glorify Jesus? I I don't want to get away with anything. I want to get closer to God. I don't want to run away from anything. I want to run closer to God. I don't want to pursue God's plan for my life. And if you're struggling, honestly, I'm praying for you. It's hard, but it's worth it. Don't, don't believe the lie that it's just you, that everybody else's marriage is great. Get off of Facebook. They only take pictures of good marriages on Facebook. Very few people post on Facebook. I mean, there are some. You've got to watch them. People who, like, fight with each other on Facebook, and we're all just like, oh, wow, that was a good line. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> for the most part, though, what we're seeing is glimpses of just the happiness. We don't see each other's struggle. We don't see that. And not that we necessarily should. But here's a reality. Whether you have been married one year or 50 years or 70 years, the struggle's still there every day. But you're learning to be more and more like Jesus. You're learning to show grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And, and guess what? You learn through the way. There are things that I'm never going to change about that person, but I still love them anyway. I can give grace to that because they're not perfect, but I remember in my, I'm not either. I'm not either. And I can show grace and mercy. We're going to take communion to finish out today, but I really wanted to just kind of set the tone for us in this as we take communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about covenants. 
And this is that reminder. Jesus gave us a covenant through the blood of his son, Jesus. And, and that covenant is two-sided. Remember, it's if you, then I. And I just want to challenge you. You know, we're often in the place of what can I do? How, what kind of decisions can I make? How can I? But to say right here and now, as I take communion, God, I commune with you. I, I, I enter into a covenant with you that I want every aspect of who I am to point to your goodness. I want every aspect of who I am to point to your faithfulness, that you're good, that you love me, that you have a plan for me, and that I'm living my life for you and not just for myself. I I give up on that. I'm not not letting it go as if I'm losing something, but really embracing what God has in store for me is what I'm truly gaining. Because how many of you believe God has a good plan for you? It's better than your plan. That doesn't mean it's easier, right? When you're making a plan, you make an easy plan. That's how we make plans. God's plan for you may not be easier, but I do promise you this, it's better. Just lean into him and trust him. He's good to you. If I can get our our board members to come, we're going to get ready to serve. We'll wait until everyone has been served and we'll take communion together. But if you can come down these two aisles on the sides here, and you can either go back up the middle or up the outside um, after you've been served, and then we'll take this time together. But I encourage you, let this be a sacred moment between you and the Lord where you just say, God, I want to make this covenant with you that my, my decision to be in relationship with you is this. Not me. It's no, no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And that's what I choose. Will you begin to work your way up here to be served? You were the word at the beginning One with God the Lord most high Your hidden glory in creation Now revealed in you are Christ What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us so Jesus you brought heaven down my sin was great your love was greater and what could separate us now what a wonderful name it is what a wonderful name What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this.
of Jesus. Father God, we call on that powerful name in this moment to share this moment of covenant with you that you extended to your disciples. And God, we, we choose this moment with you, not just out of ritual and ceremony, but to truly covenant with you and say, God, we want to be yours. We want you to be ours. We delight in relationship with you, Lord. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Paul instructed the church, he said, you need to make this a moment of true reflection. It's not just about bread, it's not just juice, it's not just wine. It's a moment in which we reaffirm our covenant with the Lord. God uses the metaphor of marriage so many times to describe his relationship with us. And just as we read a moment ago, can light and darkness be one? Can wickedness and righteousness be one? And so he says, take this moment, reflect, examine. If there's unconfessed sin, confess it. Ask God's forgiveness. Say, Lord, I want to do this in a way that's honoring to you, not just ceremony, not just ritual, but in a way that honors you. So could we just take a moment And in your own heart, your own words, your own prayer, just, God, I want to be right with you as I partake and as I remember your sacrifice this morning. loved us so much that you sent your one and only son and Jesus we are so humbled by the fact that you the God of the universe would allow yourself to be beaten and broken so that we could regain relationship with you and have a new covenant and God as we partake of this time of communion we, we eat this bread Lord, we do so remembering that you allowed yourself, nobody took from you, you allowed yourself to become the sacrificial lamb for our sake. And we love you and honor you for that, God. We thank you. Let's take the bread together. we thank you that your blood was shed for us 
that you remind us that it is only through the shedding of blood that sin can be forgiven. That animal sacrifice could never cover that, but you shed your blood for us once and for all so that every sin could be paid for. Every sin in our lives, every sin in our relationships, every sin in our decisions, and everywhere we've ever been, God, that you've covered by the blood of Jesus. And for that, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that you have washed us and made us whole. That you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That there is no end to your grace that you extend to us when we humble our hearts before you. And we remember that sacrifice as we take the cup together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's take the cup. God, we honor that powerful name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess on the earth and in heaven that he is Lord. And God, we covenant with you in this moment, not just in ceremony, not in ritual, but to say to you that we choose to be yours, to recognize that we were bought with a price, that our lives are not our own, but that they belong to you. And we want everything that we are to honor you. And God, I lift up those who are here today who are living through Christian singleness right now. Lord, be with them. Give them wisdom. Direct their steps. Guard them from the lies of the enemy. And lead them to a place of peace and healing and restoration. Lead them to a place of your promise. God, I lift up marriages in here. Lord, there are struggles in marriage. It's not easy to be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus. It's much easier to blame somebody else. To think that they're too demanding or too harsh or too hard. But God, it's us. It's the hardness of our hearts. And I pray for those who are in marriage, God, that you would strengthen their resolve to become more like you. That they would complement each other in every way, God, as they pursue holiness together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. And we give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Love on each other and encourage one another. Our prayer team will be up here at the front. At the front. We'd love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. But go out and live every aspect of who you are to the glory of God.